Well, good morning all, and wanted to look with you as we've been doing at some of the, the truths of Peter, Peter's epistles, and um, we saw earlier in this series how our church has a wonderful calling. You know, it says these in uh, it says this in First Peter chapter two verse five that our calling is to be living stones, part of a spiritual house that's a glorious uh, temple of God. And that's our calling. And of course, Christ is that precious cornerstone that everything is measured from and built according to. And so, you know, I, I just wanted to focus on that thought of God's purpose for the church and therefore God's purpose for our lives is that she built, she's built up as a glorious church as a temple, you know, to a glorious, also glorious bride. And that's our calling is to be part of that. Now, I know that's kind of hard to imagine at times in this day and age when you see everything going on in the world and in the church and you say, Lord, how are you going to do it? How are you going to produce a glorious church with the level of glory that you're talking about in the word, how are you going to, how is that going to take place? Because especially when we just see such darkness and, and sin, and it's only increasing in the earth and Lord, how are you going to do it? Well, the Lord warned us about that, right? I mean, he warned us that darkness would increase and lawlessness um, would increase people casting off restraint, people being more, lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. And, and in our natural mind, it's, it's hard to see how his glorious church is going to arise. But yet we have faith that he's going to do it. Because as I mentioned before, God is sovereign. It's already been written. It's going to happen. I pray we can have a big part in that, of him working in us and through us. And thank God that his plan is good. In fact, it's greater than we can even imagine. Like he said, and like the Lord said through Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.9, well, actually Paul's quoting here, but that no eye has seen nor ear heard, neither has it even entered into our heart or our imagination the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And that especially applies in you know, in our day and the days to come, we can't even imagine what God has prepared for the earth and, and for his church to manifest his glory to the nations. And, and so God has a plan and it's glorious, the likes of which we have never even imagined what that will take place. I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got an imagination. I can imagine a few pretty big things taking place, but God says, oh, you, know, you, haven't, you haven't imagined what I have in store for the earth. And also, as I mentioned, the church is portrayed as that glorious bride of Christ. And I, I appreciate that because that, that means a joining, right? He's, the church is not just a temple. The church is a bride. It's a relationship with Christ that's so closely joined together that, you know, the, that the bride and the bridegroom are to become one. They can't be separated. And so God is going to do such a work of cleansing, of purification, of 
beautification, right? Because she's a glorious bride. She'll be so much like heaven, it almost will be as if we, we can't recognize her as being from earth. She's so glorious. God's plan is, as it says in Ephesians 5 and verse 27, that he might present it to himself, that glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. These are some good things that we can remind ourselves of to keep our eyes upon because we want to be a part of that. That's our heart and our desire. Lord, I want to be a part of that. And I want to look at now at a section from 1 Peter where he talks about that relationship we talked about, the bride and the bridegroom, and, and specifically P- Peter's bringing out the relationship between husbands and wives. Now, I realize it's Father's Day, and I'm sorry, fathers, I'm going to be talking about husbands and wives, so you're just going to have to share the, the limelight. But, uh, you know, when we read this section in 1 Peter, normally we look at it in a very practical way because it's talking about the dynamics of marriage and the marriage relationship and how God has ordained that structure of marriage and how it should work in light of the kingdom of God. Uh, But I I want to look at it in another light uh, for how we apply it or how we're going to apply it because, you know, when it comes down to it, we are all called to be a part of the bride of Christ, right? And so in a sense, sometimes we can read this section of 1 Peter and says, yeah, wives, you got your, your work cut out for you. You have this, that, and the other to do. But you know what? That apply, that's instructions to all of us because we are all called to be a part of the bride of Christ. And we're not going to examine every verse, but I, I want to read this section just to give a complete picture. And so let's read together in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation or the conduct of the wives, while they be uh, while while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning. Uh, of the hair or wearing of gold or putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, they adorned themselves, being in in subjection to their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Here's where us husbands have to pay attention. That your prayers be not hindered. Now, we can look at this and, you know, there's obviously lots of applications for marriage and family and so forth. But as I said, I, w- I want to look at this as in a way that we are all called to that position of being a part of the bride of Christ. And that bride is beautiful. That bride is glorious. She has had a work done. She's made herself ready. She's become spotless. And just as Sarah obeyed Abraham. She came into that place of ordained 
submission to the covering that God had ordained. She did that so to become heirs together unto the grace of life. Now, in looking at this, Peter obviously is not saying that, you know, one position, one person or position is better than the other. He's simply outlining the structure that God ordained. A wife is submit to be submitted under the covering of your of her husband. Yet we see the example Peter gives, actually. I think it's kind of interesting what Peter says is, as so often the case, it's the wife who is godly and has to win the heart of her husband. And she does that through good conversation, through a godly life and draws the husband. One translation says this, 1 Peter 3 and verse 2. It says, because he will see how you honor God and live a pure life. You honor God and live a pure life. And, you know, that's a wonderful picture of how we are to be as believers. We're the, we are called to be the, the bride of Christ who wins the hearts of others because they see how we honor God and live a pure life. Some people can't be one with words. You can speak, you can reason, you can plead, you know, but sometimes it just doesn't get through. And other people, you can, you can share Christ and so forth. But some people can't be convinced with words or reasons. They want to see a life that is living the message. In fact, that's really what everyone wants to see. They want to see that the words we're saying are real. They want to see it from a life that follows the beautiful ways of Christ that Peter's illustrating here. Now, keep in mind, we're, we're talking about a spiritual representation, you know, as, as Peter's bringing out, um, because I know that, you know, as men, sometimes we can kind of zone out when it talks about not focusing on the outward uh, beautification process. Right. In, uh, in verse 3, another translation puts it this way, don't, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear. Um, as men, we probably take about five seconds to consider our, the state of our hair, maybe depending on how much hair you have, right? how much you to put hair gel in or whatever or comb it. Um, then maybe another five seconds to figure out what we're going to wear. It's like, that, that, okay, we're good. Uh, color coordination, zero seconds, I don't know. But, you know, that's, that's in the natural, but yet we understand that Peter is, the message Peter's giving is not, let not our hearts be set on what is external. Let not our hearts be set on the outward things of life. It's going to be different for each one of us. Maybe for the ladies, some of those apply. Maybe for, I'm sure there's men out there that that applies to too. In fact, I'm sure there are. There's men that that applies to. But yet, you know, each of us can have a different thing that is tempting for us to set our eyes upon. The problem is, is it becomes detrimental to our spiritual state, to our spiritual condition or our the beautification that God wants to put upon us. And that comes from Christ anyway. 
we have no beauty of our own. <laughs> we are ugly creatures <laughs> when it's just us and our own nature, at least from heaven's point of view. The only beauty we have comes from Christ, but it only comes as we set our heart and our, the focus of our lives upon him. You know, Peter says that the bride will adorn herself with beauty by being in subjection to or under the covering of her husband. And you might ask, well, why did God set it up that way? Um, you know, I, I think the easiest answer is to say he was teaching us a lesson. He was showing us an example of how we are to be as the bride of Christ toward our heavenly bridegroom. It's a picture of the Christian life. The only way the Christian life works is when we are in submission under the submission of Christ, following him. Our eyes are upon him. We're not distracted by outward things. And then his beauty can be seen in us. Now, there's two points I wanted to look at with you as to how we can come into and increase in, in the things of beauty that, that Peter's talking about uh, and that he's describing. And the first is that thought of obedience, of coming under the obedience of Christ, that position of, of authority, his guidance, his direction. And I want to look at that with, um, by considering what Jesus said in Matthew 11, that thought of coming under his place of authority. Matthew 11, verse 28, it says, Come unto me. That's the invitation that he's giving to us. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. That's us doing it by ourselves. That's doing our own work, our own effort. Come unto me, you who are labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke. Upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So the illustration that Christ is using is a yoke. That's not something we usually understand. Like if, if, if you say yoke to someone, say, you mean an egg? Right? You know, I mean, what is a yoke? You kind of have to go back in time to, to understand the yoke, or you have to work with animals, um, you, know, you know, not even really in a modern sense, because you know, people really don't use animals in that way anymore. But we, you can understand what from history that the oxen or the horses would have that yoke that was put upon them, attached to a wagon or attached to a plow, and they could be useful. They could, they could be used by the master to produce something. To, to do something, um, to move a load or plow a field or something. And it, what's interesting, I was looking this up, and, and in Jesus' day, this illustration of a yoke coming upon someone was, actually, was usually used in the negative because the Jews were usually, they actually would use it to refer to the yoke of Roman occupation, Roman oppression. Oh, someday we're going to cast off this yoke. And be set free. Messiah is going to get this yoke off of us. And what, what did Jesus come and say? Take my yoke. I thought a yoke was bad. Well, 
not Jesus' yoke because it's easy and light. And it's the way to rest if we'll receive it. You know, in this day and age, there's many that proclaim the name of the Lord, that talk about the Lord and so forth. But the question is, have they taken on his yoke? Have they received his yoke? Because that's what really matters in life. If we receive his yoke and follow his commands, then we're entering into the way of life, of rest, of peace, and all of the good things that come from the kingdom of God into our lives. Of course, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And why is that? Because it brings us into rest. There's a rest that he has for us. Um, but, and has to do too with that we're submitting, we're submitting to the gentle and lowly one. We're submitting to the king of kings who is good. And his yoke will give rest to our souls. And, and, and that's why Christ's yoke can do a work of beauty in us, can do a work of glory, um, because he brings us into a rest of submitting to and following him because he becomes the one in charge. And when he's in charge, everything we do is good because he's telling us what to do. And he'll tell us when not to do something if it's bad because we're under his yoke. And he's carrying the burden. And there's a great amount of rest in that. And I remember talking to my brother, uh, who's an airline pilot. He flies for a commercial airline. And he's telling me about the difference between a first officer, he's the co-pilot, and the captain, who is the pilot. Well, the pilot's d- technically whoever's flying at that time. But So there's a first officer and there's the captain. The captain is the one who has the responsibility of the airplane. It rests on his shoulders. He has to check that the plane's okay. You know, he's assigned the work of, um, of, of dealing with the, the flight operations and making sure everything's on track and all the decisions really rest with him. The first officer, I mean, he can show up for work and he has his skill and his responsibility that he does, but at the end of the day, he's not carrying the burden. It's the captain. And so there's some, you know, there's a difference in that position. Um, and there's a weight that that carries. Well, Jesus is the captain of our salvation. He's the one that carries the weight and the burden of accomplishing his will. All we have to do is put his yoke upon us that's easy and light and walk in that way. And we'll accomplish what he's called us to do. And we'll find rest for our souls. And that does a work of glory and beauty in us. Have you ever met someone who you just look at their outward appearance and you can tell, man, they've had a hard life. Boy, it's like they're 40 years old, but they look like they're 60 or something like, you know, it's like you can just tell from that word appearance. They've, they've either, either it's their natural work or they just had some hard experiences in life and it's just kind of shows on them. Well, they've had a burden to carry and it's greatly affected them. But God is making available to us a rest for our soul 
that comes through surrender to his will. Surrender to that place where we are under his covering, we're under his authority, we're under his guidance, and then we can rest because he's in charge. We're not making the decisions. We submit it to Christ, Lord. What do you want me to do? There's a rest in that. Now, there's one more aspect I want to mention because it's needed in order to submit to Christ at times because there will be situations he brings us into where we need to react a certain way or we need to submit. Um, and, and it's one of the aspects of beauty that, that Peter mentions that the Lord says he greatly values. And that's in 1 Peter 3 and verse 4. He says, but let it be, let the focus be upon the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. There's only a few times in scripture that God says, there's something of great price, great value to me. Now, it's not riches. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But something of great value in God's sight is when he looks into the life of a believer and a meek and quiet spirit has been developed. The Greek word uh, for meek here is praus. And it's, it's actually only used a few times, just a handful in, in the New Testament it means mild, basically, a mild spirit. But um, it was often used in Greek writings to describe animals that had been tamed. Animals that had, had kind of like come under the submission of the master and they could use it for various tasks. Of course, the principal one would you'd think of as the horse. Right? A horse has been uh, tamed, it would be called prowess, meek or gentle. Um, now, there's no way we, we would consider a horse that has been tamed as being weak, right? Sometimes we, it has been equated that meekness means weakness, but that's not true because a horse that has been tamed is powerful. It's mighty, but it's under the control of the rider. You know, they're some of the strongest animals out there, and they become very useful when they're tamed, for the master. And so when we are meek, it means we're, we're willing to fully trust to and submit to the direction of the Lord, of our master. And that ability, when it's found in us, is of great value and of great price to Jesus. The thing I just wanted to focus on with this is that, that meekness is a process of learning. Meekness is a process. I wish it could be like in impartation. Receive meekness in Jesus' name. Bam, comes in you. But it's only something that can be developed, learned through many experiences. You know, part of the spiritual journey of a believer is times of instruction in the way of meekness, where God is training us, working in us, and in the illustration of a horse, that means time in the corral, right? You can kind of think of if you've seen pictures or, you know, documentaries, movies or whatever, them breaking a horse or training a horse. They got more gentle ways of doing it today than just spurs in a saddle. But, you know, of them working with that horse so that 
it's in the corral and they're training it to respond in a right way and, and to listen to the commands of the master. But you know, it, you can't avoid, it's just times in the corral of doing that learning. And, you know, God is, is very clear in his purpose in that because he wants us to learn, to submit to, to him and his, his leading and his ways so that we become like the one who is meek and lowly towards us. Now, the difference between us and a horse is that a horse doesn't really have a choice. Right? It's going to stay in that corral <laughs> till it learns. Whereas God gives us the ability to bolt out of that corral. And we can go trotting off in the hills, eating all the grass that we want and having lots of fun and avoiding or resisting those situations where God is trying to, to train us. And the problem is, is that little rebellious part of us still remains that wants to resist the, the moving, the, the nudging of the master as he directs us. He'd rather not use a bit and bridle with us. That's what that says in the Psalms because the horse and the mule require that. He'd rather that we just hear his voice like a sheep saying, come and follow me. A wild horse is not very useful to anyone because they can't be used. Sometimes God will cause our circumstances to be such that we have no choice, where we're just limited and we can't get out of it or, or something. You know, I mean, in fact, I think that's the mercy of God when that happens. When God ordains a situation where it's like, we have no choice. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you to do something in me. I need you to work in this situation. And we cry out to him and our heart opens to him and he can work in us. That. In a sense, that's the mercy of God. But we still have to open our hearts and cry out to him. And it's his mercy to bring us into the corral because he wants to put beauty in us. And this is so important because God is coming for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. He's been working in our lives to such a degree, or the lives of those of his glorious church to such a degree that they become like him and receive his glory. And now just, I think when I was mowing my lawn last, I was listening to a really old tape of, of pastor Bailey, you know, the founder of our fellowship. And, uh, and I'm, he was sharing a story of, of a vision he had. The Lord gave him a vision of the church in the last days. And I hadn't heard him share this specifically. I heard it kind of secondhand before, but, but he was just sharing how one of the things he saw was the level of glory that will come upon the church in the last days. You know, it was as if he saw heaven and then he saw the church and the church was arising to meet him. And it was as if that glory was as it was in heaven, it was upon the church because God is coming for a glorious church. Yeah, as Peter said, the beauty and the value of the bride of Christ toward her husband is, is in the work that has been done in our lives. That yoke coming upon her, submitting to the, the will and direction of Christ our master through a meek and a gentle, a quiet spirit, which is of great price 
in the sight of God. I just want to close with one last thought. And, you know, as we consider that picture of the last days when God is going to pour out his water of life to those who are thirsty. Um, and in Revelation 22 and verse 17, this verse just kind of jumped out at me. I haven't really considered it in this way before. But here, in the context of this verse is the last days. And it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that hears say, come. And him that thirsts, come. Whoso will, let him drink, take of the water of life freely. You know, there's this unity. It's the voice of the spirit and the bride saying, come drink of the waters of life. There's that unity of the spirit and the bride. And I think about the fact that there's that, that coming revival that the world has, has never seen, right? No eye has seen. We haven't even imagined it. Hasn't even entered into our hearts what God is going to do. And, you know, we know also that the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And it is the voice of the spirit and the bride that's going to draw people to come unto him and to give that water of life. And, and so as we consider that, that bride and the work that takes place, place in the heart of the bride, we can only say, Lord, do that in me. Lord, I want to have that work. I want to be that glorious bride without spot or wrinkle. She's, be, she's prepared as a bride for her husband through the work of the yoke, through the work of meekness and gentleness. And through that, her life becomes a message that others can read and perhaps even a well that others can drink from and receive the waters of life. Father, we thank you. Lord, thank you for your plan and your purpose in these last days. Lord, that you're coming for a glorious church. And even though, Lord, we see darkness arising in the earth, Lord, we have faith in our hearts. We trust, we believe, oh God, that you're gonna do a work in your church that's so glorious we can't even imagine. But Lord, we ask and we cry out to you. Lord, we invite you today to do that work afresh in us. Lord, do that work that would, that work of beautification. Make us beautiful in your sight. Lord, that you would give us that meek and that quiet spirit. Lord, in every other aspect of beauty that we see represented in the scriptures, Lord, we just cry out to you, would you do that? Make us as that bride prepared. Help us to submit to the yoke that you have for us and to walk in that and to enter into the rest of that we ask. Lord, we just thank you. Oh, accomplish your will in the earth. We set our eyes upon you. We trust in you and we hope in you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.